You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me, growing up right away. Little me. Welcome back to Little Me, Growing Up Broadway with me, Mark Tuminelli. It's been a minute, and I'm so thrilled to pop back into your ears with this very special episode. My guest today has cast the Broadway touring Chicago, Las Vegas, and international companies of Spamalot, Jersey Boys, The Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Jesus Christ Superstar, It Should Have Been You, School of Rock, Miss Saigon, A Bronx Tale, and Ain't Too Proud. She is also cast for many regional theaters, including Paper Mill Playhouse, the Kennedy Center, Stratford Theater Festival, Dallas Theater Center, and many others. She's the casting director of the critically acclaimed web series, Submissions Only, and this has many film and TV projects to her credit. Um, including workshops and labs and developmental readings um, and a very fabulous credit, Trevor the Musical. Her new book, From Craft to Career, A Casting Director's Guide for the Actors, available for pre-order now and will be officially available in stores in June. Please welcome Mary Sugarman. Hello. Thanks for having me, Martin Minnelli. I'm exhausted from your bio, so I don't know how you did it. I'm exhausted from you reading my bio, too. Well, congratulations on your book. I can't wait to dive into it, but I kind of want to go back to the beginning. So you started out as a performer and you appeared in the Broadway National Tour of Aspects of Love and Les Mis at like the height of Les Mis fandom. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about how we got this journey from being a working musical theater actress to sort of where you ended up, queen of casting. Oh my God. Princess, maybe. I don't know about queen. Um, Princess. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, I was an actor when I was a little girl. My parents would not let me do it professionally, although it's all I wanted to do. Um, So I acted and sang and danced in community theater and at my synagogue and summer camp and, you know, all these different sorts of venues that were local. Um, we certainly did not have anything like Mark Tominelli's The Broadway Workshop. Oh, God, thank um, you for the plug. You're welcome. And then I went to Emerson College. I have a BFA in musical theater from there. And yeah, I 
worked as a non-equity actor um, in regional theater and summer stock for a couple years uh, after I graduated. And then I got the tour of Les Mis, which, you know, is my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And the idea that like I've cast it now for Broadway and the tour is like the most beautiful full circle ever. Um, (laughs) I came back and like went right back to my day job waiting tables until I got my next um, production contract, which was uh, the National Touring Company of Aspects of Love. Aspects of Love brought me out to Los Angeles where uh, I was in the ensemble and I was covering one of the leads and um, an agent became interested then and said, you know, if you want to come live uh, and work out here, I would be interested in repping you. Um, You know, as an actor, you're always kind of like, should I go to New York? Should I go to L.A.? And I just thought this is a good time for me to go and try Los Angeles. And uh, I did that. And um, I had a pretty decent career going in voiceover work, um, but uh, not so much with the booking of other things with film and television. I did do some theater out there, but always as I even went out there to start with, I'd already started feeling like maybe I didn't want to be an actor, which is definitely like a red flag that you should not big old, big old red flag, not let pass you by if you're actually working and you're still not happy doing what you're doing. Um, A very dear friend of mine uh, was one of the producers on a sitcom that was happening at the time. He called me, he said, they're looking for a casting assistant um, on the show that I work on. And I know you're feeling a little bit at sea and I think you'd be good at this. And I went and did this interview and uh, I was hired as an assistant at Lieberman Hirschfeld Casting uh, out in Los Angeles. And I never looked back. I was an assistant there and an associate and uh, then a casting director. And I worked on all film and television. And then I went to DreamWorks. as an executive casting director. And then from there, I went to uh, ABC Television as the director of uh, casting for hour-long dramas and movie musicals. Um, and then I got I got really burnt out. Um, you know, it's a different job when you're doing it at an executive level and you have different... Um, needs and requirements and it was not as creative as I had been hoping um necessary evil like you know they're running a business but um it just wasn't my cup of tea being a suit um and uh I I left it I I left the job and I thought, you know, I had started a coaching business that had taken off and I thought I can go home, which is here in New York City, and I can coach at home. And I never thought about back into casting again. I moved back and I... Think you'd be an actor uh, again? Or did that ever even cross your mind? No. I didn't miss it. I just didn't miss it. Um, And I... I was coaching people in my living room for their auditions, and I was working as a uh, a salesperson at a friend's wedding photography studio. And 
I was sitting on the board of uh, an organization called Movable Arts um, that sort of helped to bring inner city uh, schools uh, after school programs and uh, did workshops and that sort of thing. And I met this really special kid who was specifically interested in casting. And I called Tara Rubin, who, by the way, had put me in everything I'd ever done as an actor. Um, at least everything I'd ever done that um, helped me pay my rent. Yeah, got um, it. Yeah. And um, I just asked her if she had any space for a young intern. And she said, I'm kind of up to my ears in interns, but um, are you back? Do you want to go to work? We had kept in touch and she knew that I'd been casting. And I was like, what do you mean? Like cast Broadway plays? And she said, yeah. And I was like, yeah. Um, and that's this whole, the whole story. That's amazing. That, that what was like, the first project you did with, with her? Came on board there. Spamalot. Oh, amazing. Actually, it was, it was Spamalot and Jersey Boys. Yeah. Spamalot was like really taking off. And so was Jersey Boys. And they were putting out tours and doing them in other countries. And I really like concentrated on those two shows for like the first year, year and a half of being there with her. It's incredible. How do you feel like your acting time, you know, those years of touring the country and understanding what the actor's life is like, how has that informed, especially in those first couple of years of casting Broadway musicals, knowing like what the job was, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the one thing that has always kind of informed what I do and what I want my audition room to be like is my experience having been an auditioner for, you know, a, a long time, like that feeling doesn't ever go away. You never forget what it's like to feel that vulnerable and to be doing something that you're so passionate about, but so rarely get any feedback on. And, and do you feel like you've been able to help so many, I mean, obviously you've been able to help so many actors get from their starting point to where they are now. And, you know, having someone in the room advocating for them is huge. How do you sort of feel, what is the thing that you see when you see someone walk in the room and be like, this is the person that I want to keep trying to push in front of the director, or this is, what are the kinds of things you see when these young people come into the room right out of college or, you know, back to the vision of what you were when you were starting out? Um, it doesn't have much to do with age, although, you know, young actors are certainly a different category because they're faced with so many things that hopefully, you know, fully formed adults have kind of already figured out. Um, but it's the same thing that I look for in any actor, this, this game-ness, this idea of really being uninhibited and not being afraid to be who you really are um, and the people who uh, make specific choices and actually have a point of view about the story that they want to tell. That's what I look for. And that's the thing that makes me go, oh, gosh, there's such a wealth of emotion and accessibility of like feelings. And you can just tell when somebody is 
excited and passionate to tell a story. And of course, that's always the person you want telling it. So obviously, a lot of your job is working with directors and trying to understand the things that they want and trying to deliver that. And sometimes I imagine that's a very impossible task. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of how you specifically work with directors and, you know, what the challenges are there and how you kind of can find a way to get on the same page as them? Yeah. One of the things that it did not take me a long time to figure out is that truly everybody sees things through different eyes. So nobody's actually looking at the same exact thing or experiencing it the same way, even though you're in the same room and looking at it in the same time, right? So I kind of learned that whatever my taste was and whatever my instincts were about, that was only a part of my job. My job really was to serve my creative teams. So I had to listen to what they say, they what they said they wanted or what they thought they wanted and whether I agreed with it or not, or found a connection to it or not, I had to bring talent into the room that I thought they would respond positively to, whether it was something that I agreed with or not. And that was like a big lesson for me to learn. Um, I want to talk about, obviously, this is the Little Me podcast. And so a lot of times you're talking to kids or parents of kids that are kind of interested in being in the business. You have cast so many shows with young people like Les Mis and School of Rock and Trevor. Um, Tell me about how the process is different for you when you are working with young people at, you know, that are really holding up these shows. School of Rock is a show really about Dewey and the kids. It's not so much about the adults. So um, finding those personalities and people and Going around the country, I am sure, is a wild, wild experience. But I just want to hear more about your process on working with young people. Yeah, I somehow became the child whisperer of casting. (laughs) Like, I have no idea how that happened. I love kids. um, But, you know, child actors are a whole different subset of humanity. And um, the thing that I learned really quickly was that I needed to remember that they were children, that they are children, but make sure somehow that they could be treated as adults in a way that just allowed me to be secure in the knowledge that they could follow a traffic pattern backstage, that they had great memorizing skills, that they would be able to um, wrangle their own nerves and still get the job done, that they could be consistent in the fact that they had to do eight shows a week and sometimes cover seven different parts and play instruments and sing and dance. And by the way, go to school yeah, and do their homework. And, you know, there were a lot of times when I just saw kids in the audition room who didn't want to be there, you know, and then there were always kids who it's like, this kid is a theater rat, you know, he or she or they just knows that this is where they're most comfortable in their own skin. And I, I, you can see it so easily. 
So with Trevor, which was this huge project you were working on for years, I mean, so many workshops and, and labs. And then of course we have the off-Broadway production with some pretty bad timing, but um, this is something that's been a huge part of your life and finding the kids and the people who are right. And I imagine that a lot of these kids have aged out of the show and then we're going back to redo this again. Tell me about how hard that is to find the kid and then six months later, they're just can't do it anymore. And then what do you do? Talk to me about Trevor specifically, which we can all watch on Disney Plus, right? Tonight, if we you want can. to. You can go, I mean, don't turn us off now, but like no, 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 until no. We're, done, we're done and then go yes. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Trevor's probably like, I don't know. All my shows are kind of like special for different reasons. But, you know, Trevor first came to us in, I want to say, 2015. Um, it was uh, a demo and an, uh, a demo of a song called Stranger. And it was an outline. Um, my friend John Ambrosino brought it to us at Tara Ribbon Casting and, and to me. And um, I listened to the demo. And I knew that it was uh, based on the Oscar-winning short film by James Lacine, now Celeste Lacine, um, about a 12-year-old boy who was struggling with his own identity, um, like you do. <laughs> um, I was really moved by the writing. I thought it was elegant and sophisticated and incredibly... Uh, complicated for nine, 10, 11 year old kids to learn even. Um, and I thought this is something that needs to be seen by the world. And I really wanted to work on it. And, you know, it's interesting because I try to give my whole self, no matter what I'm to, to a project, no matter what I'm working on. But there's a lot of times where you don't love the material that you're working on and you're not passionate about the story you're telling and you have a job to do and you do it. But with Trevor, I was so fully in, like in no time, um, that the stakes always just seemed really high. And then of course, there's the aging out of the children. And when something sort of happens over the course of many years, like this one did, first we did a workshop of it, then a reading, then a, uh, a production uh, in Chicago at the Writers' Theater. Um, then it got an off-Broadway production, which of course was shut down by the pandemic, literally as they were going into tech. Um, when, oh, it's brutal. Then when we got it back, uh, when the pandemic was, when we were allowed to come back to the theater, uh, a lot of those kids were too mature and had aged out. Voices had changed, which is want to happen with <laughs> boys. Um, and some kids weren't available and, yeah, I had to kind of start from scratch. Start all over. It was rough. Um, yeah. But you did it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do you think that kids can make that transition from adult, from kid to adult, especially in the casting director's eyes, where they know the 10-year-old who was in this show now they're like 22 and they're back. And, you know, it's a very, very long and tricky road for these kids. Are there things that you think could help them sort of make this transition from kid to adult? Um, some kids naturally move on to other things. In fact, I would say that it's 50-50, like which kids really stay in it. Um, I think the only way to really make the transition is to be serious about studying the craft. So in your upcoming book, Craft a Career, Casting Director's Guide for the Actor, which we're very excited about, you wrote this with your writing partner, Tracy Miller, and it seems like you're covering- Tracy Moss. Tracy, Tracy Moss. Wait, Moss? Where did I get Miller from? I'll tell you where. Um, it's weird. I don't think it says Miller anywhere, but that's her maiden name, Miller. But okay. she goes by well, Tracy Moss, her married name. Well, Tracy yeah. Moss. I'm I'm fired. I apologize, Tracy Moss. <laughs> um, so you wrote it with who is Tracy Moss? How did you find her? And what was there? What tell me about the moment you're like, I need to do this book. Now I ran into you several years ago, like at least four or five years ago, and you were writing this book like on the pier. So you've been working on this for a long <gasps> time. Oh my God, that's right. So like, I know that this book is pure magic because if it's everything that you have thought of in this whole time, like every actor needs to read it. But tell me what the idea was and and why you felt like you needed to get this book out. So you're going to love this because um, it's it's very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Kismet? Yeah. Yes. So Tracy Moss, at the time, Tracy Miller was... Not to be confused Tracy Miller. Correct. Was tra- we could call her Tracy Miller Moss. Um, Tracy Moss was the guardian of one of the little Gavroches on the tour of Les Mis. When you were on the tour? Yes. Yes. And we oh, became we fast go. friends. And... Uh, we became fast friends and she wound up marrying one of the actors on the tour. Um, we stayed friends all of these years. And uh, I'd say, I don't know, probably going on six years ago now, maybe even seven. I was waxing poetic about some big fat 
freaking opinions that I had about things. <laughs> and mostly what the conversation was about was how many actors came into the room who could have done better work had they known that there were certain things that they could actually control. And I said, you know, cause there's so many things actors can't control, but there are things that they can control. They just don't know it. And Tracy in her infinite wisdom said, you should write that down. That's really, really like helpful information to have. And I thought, let's write something. But, um, you know, what I know how to do is talk and what Tracy knows how to do is write. And she's also known me for a lot of years and she was kind of able to find structure in my meandering shitty chat about my opinions um, and my experiences. And we started to write this and then our lives kind of took over. She's got a job. I have a job. I teach. I and, you know, it always had to happen in like fits and starts, um, but we were, but our passion for it never waned. Um, and then um, the pandemic happened and the world shut down and we had to kind of make lemonade out of lemons. And I said to her and she said to me, we got to sit down and write the book now. And we kind of picked up where we left off and we, I would go to her wherever she was. She would come to me wherever I was. And we finally finished it and we started shopping it around. Um, and uh, Bloomsbury Publishing, um, Methuen Drama, called and said, we want to publish your book. So oh my God, that's, that's an that's exciting day. Um, how did the pandemic change the book? from where you were going to where it ended up? Yeah. Um, I had to address things that I was not really addressing in the initial book. Um, the biggest thing being how auditions themselves had changed and were likely not to change back. Um, so the self tape and how to keep in touch. And, you know, the book was always about wanting to demystify the casting process and explain things that people are always asking me about that don't seem to be common knowledge. And that was the biggest thing that we sort of concentrated on um, knowing that we were coming back and what kind of a world we were going to come back to. Um, so what do you think like the main thing an actor is going to get from reading this from cover to cover? If you had to pick a theme or an idea. Yeah, I think that the thing that truly makes the book useful and uh, a first is that there are nuts and bolts instructions and stories that solidify the instructions and um, the success of rate of those instructions about how to navigate the business of the business, um, how to sort of put yourselves in the forefronts of agents and managers and casting directors' minds and how to live a life as an actor uh, without solely defining yourself as an actor, right? So that you get your soul fed, um, but you're able to accept the 
fact that it's a marathon and not a sprint and not fall by the wayside because of knowledge that you didn't have before. Now they'll have it. So you obviously working with Tara for so long and she is a trailblazer as a woman casting director, you know, female casting director in this business. And you two are such a great team. How did she contribute to the book? How were your thoughts together? Did you run ideas by her? Tell me about how that sort of went down, if it did. No, it definitely did. Um, Tara wrote the forward to the book. I wouldn't have anybody else do it. Um, She's the person who's been my greatest mentor. And I don't know that had it been anybody but her that I would have gone back into casting, right? Like I knew the bar was going to be really high in the human dignity department. And um, that's the kind of person that I wanted to emulate in my profession. I was really burnt out when I came back from LA and um, had no desire at all. But the idea of kind of sitting at her knee, even though I'd been casting for a while, um, I would have to have been an idiot not to take that opportunity. And of course, she's become a friend, a a dear friend over the years. Um, You know, we, we, we like laugh about this, but when I am trying to figure out what the right thing to do is, I really, the first thing I think is what would Tara do? How would she handle this? So that sort of, you know, makes it a certain thing that I'll take the high road. (laughs) Which is necessarily always my own instinct. (laughs) It feels like your office really takes care of actors in a way that I don't see from everywhere. That you really know who these people are. You really care about finding new people to fill the shoes and that there's a relationship. I hear so many actors who audition for you specifically and say, I felt so good about that, whether they got it or not. And that's something that you bring to the room and Tara brings to the room. And it's something really special about your office. How is, how do you maintain that daily, monthly, yearly, you know, because it's so easy to be like, Oh, 900 shows to cast. I don't have time to do this with this person, but it seems like your office is able to maintain this since its inception. A couple of things I think um, are responsible are, 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 um, or what bring those kinds of results. One is Tara. I mean, you could literally steal from her and she wouldn't fire you, but if you treat somebody badly, that will not be acceptable in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there's that, um, there's also the fact that while you're not like always going to walk into warm, fuzzy audition rooms, like we're busy, we're working, you know? Um, I I never really understood not creating an atmosphere where people could do their best work. So I want to get cast, you know? I want people to, you know, there's always this, the casting directors are your best friends. They're rooting for you. I mean, yes, yes. And Uh, I also want to do my job really well so that I get hired again, right? So creating a room where I can help people be their best selves 
as far as their storytelling goes, kind of seems like a no brainer. But I'm glad people feel that way. No, they do. They do. Um, I find that so many young people graduate from these big musical theater schools, and yet they have like no idea how the business works. And they have no idea how casting works. And they have no idea how to communicate with a casting director or how to advocate for themselves in the best way possible. So obviously, this book is going to be a huge help to them. Have you thought about some sort of like course that can go along with this that, you know, in addition to having the book at, at a musical theater school that you could also teach or has there been more thoughts about how to expand this amazing idea? Yeah. I mean, there are certain things in the works that have to do with video. uh, Yeah. And um, little cameo appearances and a lot of um, uh, crossover between SAG-AFTRA and equity and how to sort of put like tips of the trade out there. But you know, you're right. I spend between January and like the beginning of May, you know, traveling to different schools and sort of doing a crash course with their seniors about the business of the business, how to nurture relationships, you know, what are EPAs and chorus calls and breakdowns and, you know, how does it work with agents and managers and showcasing and all of those things. It's, it's really shocking to me that, you know, you can spend a quarter of a million dollars and get your BFA and then you wake up the day after graduation and you have no idea what to do to try and get a job that day. It's my, it's actually mind bending. Like I, I, it's hard for me to understand. Um, that they kind of sometimes learn more in the four years or whatever they spend at probably workshop. Like, how did you not learn this at musical theater school? But you know, that's kind of how it goes. Is there a story that you couldn't wait to include in the book that when you started the idea, you're like, this is a story I am definitely going to tell. Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, uh, there isn't just one. Um, but you know, there are there are stories that were sort of born of people saying to me, you know, what's the best part about being a casting director. Right. And for me, it's always, if I get to tell the actor that they've gotten a job, which sometimes I do, if they don't have representation, um, the moment when you know that you've actually helped somebody get closer to booking the job, you see the penny drop, you see them make an adjustment that makes sense to them and changes the whole thing. Um, but, you know, there are there are incredibly inspirational stories by people who about people who really did extraordinary things that could have led to things that might have made them feel embarrassed or, you know, out on a limb in, in a way that, um, you know, like I said, is just really inspiring because being an actor is putting yourself out there and going out on a limb and, and risking so much and being so brave and, actually getting the job sort of takes the same, the same kind of heart and skill set And fearlessness. It's like to be able to get in the room and try stuff and not be watching yourself do it is, is really the hard part. I just, I don't know how people do it. I couldn't do it anymore. So it blows my mind. Well, very few people really really do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like very few people 
Um, they think they're doing it, but they're not. But then Excellent. there are people who really, really are. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest common mistake that you see? And I hate to use the word mistake, but something that you see constantly, whether it's in video submissions or live auditions, that you're like, oh, I just wish I could share this piece of information with the world. That's a really easy answer. Um, specific choice making points of view, no vagueness. No, I think that a lot of young actors um, try to, I think that because the auditions are so few and far between and there's a level of nervousness and uh, I think that they kind of try and show their entire bag of tricks all at the same time. Um, and what winds up happening, I also think that people are afraid to be too, too specific, right? Because what if it's wrong? But the truth of the matter is that if you are very specific and bold and vivid with your choice making, as long as you're telling the truth, it can't possibly be wrong. And those auditions, every one of those auditions where you do that builds the foundation for the moment in time when you're going to get the job and just start to work all the time. I love it. I love it. How do you think you have changed in these 15 years of casting Broadway or more than that now, but um, how, how do you think you've changed as a casting director and the way you approach the work or being in the room? Uh, I mean, I've learned so much about human nature. I've learned, uh, that you can't work the same way with everybody that different human beings um, require different ways of working with them in order to get out of them what it is that you are looking for. And it's like uh, being a great teacher. Like, yes, because not every student learns the same way either. You know, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that I've learned to be patient. And I've learned to let people go at their own pace and to have confidence and faith that the cream rises to the top and we'll get there. When I believe in somebody, I don't question it. I don't question myself. I just go with my gut. And that's been the biggest thing because, um, because I have a job to do and I do represent Tara and the rest of the office and it always can't be my way, right? But yeah. um, you know, knowing that that I can trust my gut took a long time. And it's like you know that ten thousand hours to be an expert at anything. You certainly logged it. So I'm sure when you sit there, you're like, I know the job. I know what I'm doing. I, I have the I have the information. Um, I, I see a lot of actors getting in touch with casting directors, which I think is the wrong way. You know, like there's a lot of weird ways that actors try to get casting directors to notice them. Is there a way that you like people to get in touch with you or your office versus a way that is very red flaggy to you? Um, you know, it's interesting. 
every casting director will have a different answer to this because everybody likes to be sort of approached or kept in touch with in a different way. For me, it's less about what I like and more about what's most productive for the actor based on how my life kind of runs. Um, used to be that I preferred snail mail, a postcard, you know, a reminder of who you are and what you're doing every couple of months. Um, but, you know, mailing addresses aside now after the pandemic, we're all kind of scattered a little bit. Um, you know, I prefer that somebody either shoot me a note, you know, an email or get in touch via the website. Um and actually to do it pretty consistently so that I'm reminded because there's only one of me, you know, and I need to be reminded. I'm also not somebody who will find myself annoyed by an actor who's just trying to advocate for themselves as long as they're doing it in a professional way. This is amazing. So who needs your book, Craft Your Career? A casting director's guide for the actor. Well, all actors need my book, Mark Tominelli. Every actor, um, every age. Would you say every? You know, like I would say every age because you know, there's the the book is really for people who are just starting out. Um, there's a whole chapter called Curious Kids that's for parents and very young actors um, that I think is pretty clear about the best ways to navigate almost any situation, whether you live here or whether you live in Iowa. Um, I also think it's great for people who have taken a break and are coming back to the business. Um, and I'd really love it if producers and directors and music directors and choreographers, you know, would read it too, just because they really only see us in the room. You know, they deal with us certainly, you know, via Zoom and emails and we hear what their concepts are and we hear what their thoughts are and we get their feedback on actors. But I'm not sure they know exactly how and not just our creative teams, but actors as well, what actually we're doing before they find us sitting <laughs> fully formed behind a table, you know? Yeah, so it's it's kind of for anyone who's interested in the business or people who are currently working in the business. And also, I think that people get into their own rut and they don't remember what other people do. You know, like as someone who is an educator, it's like I know what I do really well, but I sometimes forget what other people do. And so it's a really good reminder of how this whole business is all working in these little separate areas and then we all have to come together to do things. So I'm I'm thrilled that it exists and that so many people are going to get to read it. Tell the people how they can get their hot little hands on your book. So the book is going to be shipped as far as anyone who has pre-ordered much earlier because apparently there's a lot of pre-ordering going on. So we love that. the actual release date has been pushed up to April 20th here and in the UK. Um and then a couple months later, I believe in the on the rest of the planet, uh, you can order the book on Amazon.com. And you can also order the book uh, directly from Bloomsbury. You can get a digital copy of it, um, a hardback copy of it, or a paperback copy of it. This is a thrill. And also the link will be in the notes of this episode. So you can just <gasps> click, click 
on iTunes and buy it right there. Thank you. Great. Okay. We have to do Broadway workshop, quick fire questions. This is a list of questions that you can't overthink and you just have to go with it. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. What was your first audition song that you sang? Nothing from a chorus line. First Broadway show you saw? Fiddler on the Roof. Favorite food? Sushi or pasta. Okay. Um, Go-to album for a car trip? Oh, man. I, I mean, I... Can't are we talking about musical theater here? No, it could be we... anything. Like, what do you what do you gravitate to when you get in the car to drive, okay. or if you're going, if you have to sit in a car for hours? Yeah, I, if I'm sitting in a car for hours, I go the nostalgia route, and I go to the albums that I listened to as a kid. So I'm going to say uh, Hotel California, um, the Eagles. <laughs> I'm going to say Steve Miller Band, Fly Like an Eagle. And I'm going to say Carpenter's Close to You. Oh, yes. Okay. What is your favorite memory of performing? Absolutely, Les Miserables. Um, also, I'm going to say I was a pretty great hotbox girl in uh, Guys and Dolls at Freehold Township High School. Yes. Okay, great. Um, all right. What was the last Broadway show you saw? The last Broadway show I saw was uh, Pictures from Home. And before that, Some Like It Hot. Big Broadway season. Um, we're like back. Broadway's back, baby. Um, yeah. Have you have you seen Leah in Funny Girl? I haven't yet, but I'm going to. You, you must. It's like, it's astounding. All right. Um, best opening night party you can remember in your whole career. Oh, School of Rock and uh, Ain't Too Proud. School of Rock killed. That was a great party. I'm sure. When there's that many kids, it's always fun. Who is the most intimidating person you have ever worked with? Who have you been most intimidated by? Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, it's like... I sat next to him at Heather's in London, which was like an experience. (laughs) But, you know, it's just sort of like... You created so many things. It's I know. And by the way, he's never been anything but kind and um, uh, what's the word when a collaborative and, but he is a man who knows what he wants. Um, what is the favorite role you played in high school? Is it that hot box girl or something else? No, no. I'm going to say uh, Tessie Tura in uh, yes. Gypsy. <laughs> I bet you were great, Tessie Tora. Um, okay. Tell us a show you worked on that you had the hardest time saying goodbye to. Uh, you mean as a casting director? Yeah. Jersey Boys. Imagine that was a big, big, huge chunk of your life. Um, Broke my heart. Broke my heart uh, to see that one go. What is your Starbucks order? Uh, grande soy misto, no foam, please. Okay, you heard that here, folks. Um, <laughs> what is if you could go back in time and see any Broadway performance, what would it be? Um, Elaine Stritch and Company, a good one. Mine's always Angela Lansbury and Mame. Like, who doesn't want to see that? Or Gypsy, just. Angela Lansbury, man. All right. 
But um, I saw Angela Lansbury and Sweeney Todd and that like is enough oh, to hold me until the day yeah, I that, die. Yeah. That's a good. Um, what is the most memorable performance you've ever seen? Uh, that Angela Lansbury and Sweeney Todd. And I'm going to say, um, does it have to be a musical? No. Denzel Washington and Fences. Oh, check, check. Um, can you name two real housewives of any city? Um, <laughs> Teresa Gudice. Gudice, yeah, that's her name? Yeah, you could say it's Judice her, or Judice. Yeah. Judice, yeah. And then the one who makes the skinny girl vodka. What's her name? Bethany Frankel. We'll, we'll Bethany you. Frankel. Yeah. All right. So she does not a housewife watcher. Um, what is your favorite Les Mis story, either casting or being in the show? My favorite Les Mis story is uh, my audition story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, spill it. You have 60 um, seconds. <laughs> I, I got a very last minute audition from Tara Rubin. Um, her session was falling apart. I'd auditioned before. She called me. I was home. I had a cast on my foot. I'd been thrown from a horse the week before where uh, I'd been riding as a drama counselor, like at a summer camp. And I literally auditioned for Les Mis on the stage at the Golden Theater with a cast on my leg and uh, $5 in my wallet that was used on a cab ride. And I was not even showered. I had like an hour to get down there. And that was when I booked it. I'd auditioned for it five or six times already, by the way. Well, it just goes to show you. You just never know. Um, right. What is your favorite song to sing now if no one's around and you have like a quiet moment? What do you find yourself belted out? Uh, anything from chess. <laughs> yeah, we'll sing someone else's story together next time I see you. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. Okay, what was your most joyous casting experience? Trevor. I mean, oh, you wait, that's not fair. No. Uh, okay. Okay. okay, 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 okay. You could say Trevor. You, I mean, you love your shows, which is like amazing. Because I'm sure I Jersey Boys do. is also like I a do. blast. Those Jersey Boys dudes, is the show that took me all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um. All right. One performer you will drop everything to see. Um, Annalie Ashford. Right. She's it. IT. Um, what's the hardest show to cast? School of Rock. Yep. And uh, you don't have to, you don't have to tell us what it is, but have you ever left a show in intermission? Yes. Okay. Um, and what, what is one thing we have two more, what is one thing you wish people knew about casting? That we are not in control of who ultimately winds up in the cast. Great. And what advice do you have for young performers? To stay on their own paths, try not to compare themselves to other people, to go at their own pace and to know that playing the long game is a really good thing to do, that it is a marathon and not a sprint. And also that they need to read your book. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, they <laughs> need to read too. my book. That's the one thing I want everybody to know. <laughs> That's it. Um, tell the people where they can follow you. Are you on, on the socials? 
You don't want people following you there, do you? <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, you know. Yeah. And and everyone just go buy the book. Buy five books, give the book to a friend. That's a nice gift. You're like, hey, you're you need some help in the audition world. Here's your book. <laughs> um and uh Mary Sugarman, it's such a pleasure to touch down with you. I always love having you at Broadway Workshop. You're a wonderful teacher. You're such a wonderful advocate for actors. And I'm so thrilled this book is in the world and all your hard work is going to pay off because a lot of people are going to have their whole lives changed by just getting some information that they probably desperately needed. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Mark Timonelli. You know, I have great respect for what you do and how you do it. And I was very honored to be invited here. So thank you. And thank oh, you for sure. um, for letting everybody know about From Craft to Career. Oh, yes. And we will be posting everywhere. And friends, I'll be back. You know, I'm, I'm touching down here and there um, when there's an exciting guest. I have a couple of people coming up. But thank you for listening. Mary, thank you for being here. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at ThatTuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.